Take your Bibles, please. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. The phrase I would like for us to really focus in on on this passage, and there are so many amazing things happening on Elijah's last earthly day, because that's where we are in 2 Kings chapter 2. He's going to be in heaven at the end of the day. This is how he spends his final day on earth. If you knew you were going to be gone at the end of today, what would you be doing? I hope you'd go on and come to church, quite honestly, because this is a good thing to do if you have one day to live. That's how Stephanie wanted to live her last moments, isn't it? As a matter of fact, Stephanie Marnock, she, she wanted to come to church before she had to go to the hospital. Isn't that something? But, you know, the amazing thing here is Elijah, Elisha, and everybody they see along the way, the sons of the prophets, they all know, Elijah, you're going up. He's like, I know, take it easy. Everything's cool, you know. He's going to go up to heaven. There is a heaven to gain. That's the mission. Elijah is on a mission with his last day. And he says three times in this passage of Scripture, and this the title of the sermon comes right out of the text, the Lord hath sent me. And I encourage you to mark those verses in verse 2 and also verse 4 and verse 6. The Lord hath sent me. Let's pray. So now, Father God, give us that sense in our own life that you have sent us. You have sent us to live here, to work here, but Lord, you send us to where you send us on Monday, and you send us to where you send us on Tuesday. Help us to have a sense of your sending us each day of our lives because we're living with your mission in mind in the center of your will. So, Father, thank you now for this time. We pray in Jesus' name for your encouragement and strength to each of our people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I remember in the fall of 1995, I had basically resigned and and left our church that I had started in Queens, Parkway Baptist Church. And I was in a diner in Bayridge, Brooklyn, with a group of pastors, and there were some other church members from the church, from some of the churches. I didn't know who they were. And there was a man sitting across from me at the diner from one of the other churches. I, I didn't know who he was, and I couldn't even tell you his name. To this day, I've never seen him since. This one meeting which was very providential because they were just we were discussing what we were doing and where we were going and I say yeah I just resigned our church and I would like I'm praying praying about I've been praying about it for some time of starting a church in Manhattan and he just blurted right out you ought to start a church in Chelsea now this was in 1995 and the only Chelsea I knew was Chelsea Clinton serious I didn't know of a Chelsea Manhattan. First time I had ever heard of it because I was in Brooklyn and Queens. And I said, where's Chelsea? And he told me right where it was. I was like, wow, that's if I take the Long Island Railroad into Manhattan, I'm smack dab right there. You know, just I'm right there in Chelsea. So I said, I'm going to survey that area. And so sure enough, I, I, I took the Long Island Railroad in and started walking around Chelsea and my heart burned. And I just sensed the Lord saying, this is where I would, I want you to come and start a church. And so from that moment that we started Heritage Baptist Church 
to this morning as I drove into Manhattan. With all my heart, I know the Lord has sent me. He sent me here even to this very day. And he sent you as well. We should all have that sense. Amen? That the Lord is leading and sending. Charles Spurgeon said, we have so little time. Let us live like dying men. And what a paradoxical perspective we have as Christians. We live with the sense that, yes, we can die at any time because of the brevity of life. And we're not afraid. And that's true. But we also live with the perspective that in Jesus Christ, we never die. Because we have faith that once absent from the body, we still live present with the Lord. So that's how to live this life. The Lord hath sent me. Embrace life's brevity and embrace the reality of eternity. David Brainerd, who was a great missionary to the Native Americans in the early days of our country, even before the revolution. This was in the days of Jonathan Edwards. This was in the days of the Great Awakening of New England. David Brainerd actually fell in love with Jonathan Edwards' uh, daughter. He died as a very young man. He died of tuberculosis, but he he went to the Indians in New Jersey and in New York and in, in, in Pennsylvania at that time. And he would literally go on horseback and ride for hours in the rain or the snow and be coughing up blood and still going on. And his journal, of course, has challenged many people. Jonathan Edwards put a journal of David Brainerd that you can get and it would be well worth your reading. Not easy to read, but this is what he said. He said, how rare are the instances of those who live and act from day to day as on the verge of eternity striving to fill up all their remaining moments in the service and to the honor of their great master. And I believe it was really Brainerd's quote there that gave me the title when I wrote a book on this passage of Scripture, Living on the Edge of Eternity. And that's where Elijah is. He's literally right on the edge of going into heaven, the edge of eternity. And he's buying up his time and striving In these moments to honor his Lord. So here he is one day to go. What is he doing? He's following God's direction completely. Each time the Lord sends him, he goes consistently. There's no complaining. He doesn't say, oh, I don't have enough time. I only have one day, so might as well just kick back. I would would be prone to want to do that. But he goes without complaint, and he goes, this is it, confronting the most difficult, hard places in the kingdom in which he lives at this time. He's going to confront the idolatry when he says, the Lord has sent me to Bethel and the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Those were the centers, I I believe, of the idolatry. And I will show you that this morning in the land. Another great quote that has really affected and challenged my life. And I share it with you because it's such a challenge. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary who went to China. And you know, in China today, they say there are well close, if not more than a hundred million Christians 
many of them going to house churches. But the church in China has grown when the American missionaries left and the house church movement really began. It spread, it, it spread like wildfire. Maybe we need to have a house church movement in America like that. But Hudson Taylor is, I believe, responsible for a lot of the fruit we're seeing in China today. And he said, I besought him, the Lord, to give me some work for him as an outlet for love and gratitude. Oh, and by the way, Hudson Taylor was 17 years old when he is recollecting this experience of surrender. So this was his surrender and his testimony of when he surrendered himself to the Lord as a 17-year-old young man. He said, I look to the Lord for some self-denying service, no matter what it might be, however trying or however trivial, something with which he would be pleased and that I might do for him who had done so much for me. Well do I remember, he says, as an unreserved consecration, I put myself, my life, my friends, my all upon the altar. Have you ever done that? If not, do it today. If you say, well, I've already done that, let's do it again. And then he said, continuing this prayer, the deep solemnity that came over my soul with the assurance that my offering was accepted. And then the presence of God became unutterably real and blessed. I well remember stretching myself on the ground. Think of this. It's a 17-year-old young man having this experience in the presence of God stretched on the ground on the altar of sacrifice. And he says, I, I was filled with an unspeakable awe and unspeakable joy. Have you ever felt that? Surrender your heart to the Lord. We can experience his presence as well. He said, for what service I was accepted, I knew not, but a deep consciousness that I was not my own took possession of me, which has never since been effaced. That should be all of our prayers. So, on the last day of his earthly life, Elijah says three times to Elisha, the Lord had sent me. And three times, Elisha says, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you. You know, and we need to be the kind of people that are in the center of God's will. Then people will follow us. Be that kind of person. The Lord has sent me. And then you can even tell people, don't follow me. And they're going to say, no, I'm going to follow you. Because if the Lord is sending you, I want to see what God's going to do. <laughs> May we be that kind of, I want to be that kind of person. Don't we all want to be that kind of person? So he says, the Lord has sent me to Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. Let's look at the significance of these places. He says, first of all, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Now I say Bethel was a place in Elijah's day where the truth had been completely counterfeited. And so this was literally a center of false religion in his day. So, but let's go back. And you know what happened at Bethel early on in the history of Israel. Jacob was out about and he came to Bethel. And he put his head on a pillow, but his pillow was a rock. And he had a dream, and he saw the Lord at the top of an, a ladder that extended from heaven down to the earth 
the angels up and down the ladder. And he woke up out of his dream and he says, Whoa, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. So early on, Bethel was foundationally known as a place where God revealed his very personal presence to the Jewish patriarch. And I believe the devil played on that because in Elijah's day, it wasn't a place where God was showing his presence in this false religion because what had happened when the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, remember Israel was the northern kingdom, Judah was the southern kingdom, and where was the temple? The temple was not in the northern kingdom. It was in the southern kingdom of Judah in Jerusalem. Now remember, Elijah ministered in the northern kingdom in Israel. And the first king of Israel, his name was Jeroboam. And he said, you know, all the people of this kingdom, of my kingdom, are going to go to Jerusalem to worship. We don't want that. We want to have a one-stop shop for all of our worshipers here in our, in our kingdom. So we're going to set up our own religion. We're going to set up our own cities with its own worship centers. And the key city, right before you would go into the southern kingdom of Judah, was in Bethel. So you can kind of see here by this map. You could see Gilgal, where their journey started. That's the circle with white. You see Gilgal at the top of that red arrow. And then Bethel, which is about 15 miles. He travels there. And then the purple begins the kingdom of Judah. So you could see that Bethel is in the southern part. So in other words, it's like, why go all the way to Jerusalem? It's not convenient. Just go to Bethel. And so what the first king of Israel had done, and I actually believe this is one of the most significant Old Testament passages to really understand what's going on during the Kings and Chronicles, is to understand that Jeroboam set up a false, counterfeit religion. It looked just like the, the true worship of God. It looked just like the Mosaic worship. He had feast days. He had priests. He had an altar. They had sacrifices, but it was all done in disobedience to the word of God. And every king of Israel says they followed after the sin of Jeroboam. It was sinful to worship that way. Now, that's not politically correct to say that any religion is sinful, but that's what the Bible says. <laughs> now, do you think the people of the northern kingdom thought they were worshiping demons and the devil when the, the reality is they were? They, they, in my mind, I believe they thought they were worshiping and if you were to ask them, do you believe in the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Oh, yes. It's like a lot of people in America. You say, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I believe. I believe in Jesus. What do you believe? Well, I don't know. Whatever the church believes, you know. They say it's just a name only. It's a cultural. It's like a cultural religion. But it's not a true saving faith. You must be born again. You must be personally saved. By believing on the Lord Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for your sin, was buried and rose again. Don't be a cultural Christian and say, well, I'm, my, my family's Christian, so I'm a Christian. No, you're not a Christian just because your family's a Christian. You're a Christian when you become saved, amen? When you become born again. 
so this place where God had demonstrated his presence in the past now becomes a center for a counterfeit of the true worship of God. And do you know what Satan is a master of? Satan is a master at dressing up the truth and really turning it into paganism. And then people actually think they're still doing it in a way pleasing to God. We all have to search our hearts. That's why we need the Bible continually. Paganism. When I say that, what I mean by paganism, because really it was a pagan religion, and paganism infiltrated the northern kingdom. Paganism is a combination of different things probably, but it's the idea of, first of all, worshiping multiple gods. Paganism is saying that there's multiple ways to get to God. There's not just the, the truth of Jesus Christ, but having multiple deities. It is the worship of creation involved in paganism. In Romans chapter 1 is really a great passage defining paganism, which is what's going on in America, where people are worshiping the creation and not who? The creator. That's paganism. Environmentalism in our day and age is a religion in our country. Therefore, politics and for many people is like a religious. It is their religion because they're not. Many are not following in the way of Jesus Christ. They've become just environmentalists, worshiping the creation. That's a form of paganism. Ancestral religion, when you just worship the gods of your ancestors because you don't want to sway from what they believe. Because if you say that your ancestors were wrong, And in some cultures, especially in Eastern cultures, let's say in Japan, where there's a lot of ancestral religion and they worship in some strange ways their ancestors and things. And they would if they become Christian, they're basically saying my ancestors are in hell. And that's just a a, a bridge too far for some to want to go. But we have to hold to the truth. So that's what I mean by paganism. And Satan is a master at dressing up the truth and filling it with pagan lies. And making people comfortable. And that's where Elijah was going the last day of his life. He says, I must go. The Lord has sent me to Bethel, where Jeroboam had set up this false religion, where they don't even want us. Remember the prophet Amos when he went to Bethel? The king said, what are you doing here? You're just a farmer. Go go do your preaching somewhere else. But this is Bethel. This is the king's court. This is where we worship our God, Jeroboam's God's. Go do your preaching somewhere else. And then later on, after Elijah had gone into heaven in the whirlwind, Elisha went into Bethel. And remember what happened there? Now, in the King James, in verse 23 of 2 Kings chapter 2, this chapter, it says, He went and there, was, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him. Now, when it says little children... I don't believe they were five or six-year-olds. I I believe they were probably upper teenagers at least. But there were young men. And my my understanding of this would be that these children mocking Elisha were being trained as the next priests of Jeroboam's false religion. And now they're mocking Elisha when he comes into Bethel. Now, this is the same place where Elijah had just gone. So these mockers were there also. So Elijah's going to where there was the mockery of God's true way. And 
it's almost a bit humorous, but it's very sad, actually, when you think about what they're saying to Elisha here. Look at it. What do they call him in verse 23? What do they call him? They call him Baldy. That'd be like calling, yo, yo, egghead. Yo, Baldy. And then they say what? What do they mean by that? Go up, thou bald head. What are they saying to him? What, what are they mocking? They're making fun of of what Elisha believes about Elijah, that Elijah had what? Gone up. So they're saying, go up with Elijah. We don't want you here, old bald head. Go up. You holder to fables and tall tales. They didn't believe it. They mocked it. And so people will mock us as well for believing the Bible, believing creation. I was mocked one time when I was passing out tracts. Literally, the guy just stopped, and he started mock- making fun of my teeth, you know, because I had a accident in the third grade, and my teeth, I know, they're disgusting. I mean, they're, they're caps and this and that, whatever. He said, look at your teeth. They're falling out of your head. <laughs> he said, you need to go to the dentist. I'm like, will you just leave me alone, you know, go, go. You know? I mean, he was like, said, and he just said all kinds of crazy things, but I was just passing out tracks, and he started, like, totally mocking me. I'm still going to pass out tracts. I'm not going to let anybody stop me from passing out gospel tracts. Say, well, they don't work very well. How do you know? Jeff Prophet got one, (laughs) and he's here today. And uh, other people that I know got gospel tracts. So let's keep going. We're in a city where the truth has been counterfeited. A lot of people are comfortable, but they're absolutely lost. And we need to just continue to be the light and the salt in their life. And don't be discouraged. Don't be dismayed. Don't quit. Continue working, praying, sharing the gospel, witnessing. God is at work. This is not the day to quit. This is not a time to say, well, we're in a pandemic, so God isn't working as he was in the past. No, listen, we just have to believe this is what God is allowing right now, and God is still at work. This is a time for more labor of love, not less. This is a time for more churches to be started, not less. Let, let's keep going. Let's not wait. You know, for, well, we've got to wait until it gets back to the way it used to. How do we know if it's going to get back to the way we used to? We, it might, it might not. I'm not a prophet to know, but I know we've got to deal with what we've got to serve God Today, the Lord has sent me today. Well, Elijah had one day to live. He didn't say, well, I can't do anything. I only got one day. No, he, he did a lot on his last day, right? So we need to call people to experience God's true presence in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. You know, in this whole mega church movement, we don't need necessarily, we don't have to go to a mega church to be in the presence of God. We have to get with two or three who love Jesus Christ and, and ask Jesus to work and mightily move. It's a beautiful picture. A family visited us from Virginia on this particular Saturday, and that's who these. The, the family, there's a wife and her husband, and they had two sons. But if you notice in this picture, you notice Coretta front and center. This is for our homeless outreach. And then to Coretta's uh, right is Jamie Lloyd. And then next to Jamie is 
our dear sister Helen. And behind Helen is Josephine. And what, who I really want to highlight here, though, is do you know who started our homeless outreach of Heritage Baptist Church? And it was Karen Dykers, who is now with the Lord. And this is our missions conference. You know, Karen, in our first, like, three or four mission conferences, she would write the, the words of our mission conference. I'd like to sing at least one of them on Wednesday. We'll send them to you, and we'll sing. There's some beautiful songs. She would write a theme song, and Karen Tauscher would put it to the music. And she was a poet. She would write such beautiful poems. Her testimony is this. From the age of 19 to 52, she was high on drugs every day of her life. She, had, she was arrested for selling drugs. She shoplifted, committed forgery, burglary, prostitution. She was out homeless, and someone gave her the gospel. And right on the streets of our city, Karen Dykers put her faith in Jesus Christ. And somehow, I forget exactly how she found out about our church. Maybe she heard us on the radio. I can't really remember. But she came to our church, and she said, we need to reach the homeless people. I was homeless at one time. And she started it. She told us what, what the homeless people wanted, and we just followed her lead. And, and it's still going on. This ministry is still going on that Karen Dykers started. She's with the Lord. Helen is with the Lord. Josephine used to lead our hospital visitations, by the way. And before Josephine, it was another brother named Willie Van de Nevis. He's, he's with the, he was a, from Cuba. He would do salsa dancing. <laughs> Willie. And, and he's with the Lord. And Josephine isn't able to do the hospital visitations as she once did. I'm saying we need servants. We are in a great mission field. We are, I'm here as a missionary to New York because this is a mission field. This is the most exciting mission field in the world, I believe, because the whole world is here. Let's not lose sight of why we're here. We're not just here to work. We're here to serve God. The second thing I want to see is that Jericho, he goes to Jericho. The Lord hath sent me to Jericho. Now, whereas... The truth had been counterfeited in Bethel. In Jericho, I say it had been erased. Now, when you think of Jericho, no doubt you think of trumpets sounding, you know, the priests marching around the city and the walls tumbling down. But Jericho reminds us of the mighty power of God to bring judgment and also to bring salvation. He brought judgment to the city, and it was a severe judgment. It was a really severe judgment. That offends the conscience of some people because women and children were even put to death when Jericho was defeated and destroyed. But it was a severe judgment. But it was a mighty demonstration of grace because Rahab, a harlot, was saved who would later become a foreparent of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's amazing grace, right? So it's the power of God. But at the end of the, of the episode where Jericho is defeated, God put this city under a curse. And it's in Joshua chapter 26. Can we read that verse, please? It says this. Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up 
and build it, this city of Jericho. And he's, this is a prophecy. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn. And in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. Now, what, what does that mean? It simply means he's going to sacrifice. Whoever is going to rebuild the city will do so by sacrificing his children into the rebuilding of it. So it has to be to some pagan, for a pagan purpose, a pagan god they were seeking to appease or propitiate. <laughs> He's going to put his firstborn, his oldest son, and his youngest son, sacrifice them to some false god. So what happened? Do you know that the amazing thing is here now, in verse 4, it says, Now Elijah said to him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord had sent me to Jericho. What had happened to Jericho? And here's the amazing thing. Jericho figures in or plays into the first time we see Elijah and here the last time that we see Elijah in his earthly life. So Jericho is vital in the first and the last appearances of Elijah. So go back to 1 Kings, please, chapter 16. I just want to read a couple verses there. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 32. And if you could turn there, because under Ahab's evil administration, in proud defiance to God's clear word that he had given through Joshua, that whoever were to rebuild the city of Jericho would do it in disobedience to God. Why? Now why? Why didn't God want Jericho rebuilt? Well, there's multiple reasons. I, I won't get into them from my understanding. But I believe this. I believe God said, let the walls lie as they stand as a reminder of my power to judge idolatry and all of the wickedness that is associated with idolatry so the people of Israel would not go into that idolatry to protect them. Remember, because we're so prone to forget, Remember the power of God to bring judgment and also to bring salvation there in Jericho. So basically, God did not want that city rebuilt. But then Ahab marries Jezebel, 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 31. He took to wife Jezebel, did Ahab, and it says, then went and served Baal. And worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria, just like Solomon had built worship shrines to satisfy his wives of different nations. So Ahab does to Jezebel. And he builds this and he builds the house of Baal. And it says he made a grove and he did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. In other words, false worship gets God angry. We're not worshiping the one true and living God. We're, made, we're getting God angry. We need to find out the truth and worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And then it says in verse 34, and here's the verse, and here's the prophecy of Joshua fulfilled. In his days did Hile, and guess where Hile's from? Where's he from? Bethel, remember Bethel, that place of Jeroboam's false religion. He built Jericho. He was pretty much like the head of the construction crew. What do they call the head of the construction crew? What's the word I'm looking for, Pastor? The head of the construction. He's, the, he's like a foreman, a foreman or something like that. 
That's the way I look at Hile. He built Jericho under the authority of, of Ahab, and notice what he did. He laid the foundation thereof, and Abiram is firstborn. He buried his son in the foundation of the city of Jericho, and he set up the gates thereof, and his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. This is none other than the exercise of Baal worship and sacrificing your children in order to, to get prosperity and success in worldly things. Baal worship of the Old Testament, I view it as American pop Christianity. So when you see Baal, don't think, oh, that's some old ancient religion. No, it's very similar to American pop culture. Because Baal worship is basically a religiously pluralistic system. So religious pluralism basically says there's nobody who's right or wrong here. There's no religion that's right, another religion that's wrong. We're all equally what? Right. That's Baal. That's American pop Christianity. Don't criticize any, any other religion. You can mix and match religions in Baal worship. And a lot of people do that with Christianity. They mix in Hindu ideas, they mix in Catholic ideas, they mix in Baptist ideas, they just kind of mix and match different isms and schisms, uh, Eastern religion, a little bit of Hinduism, a little bit of New Age, and a little bit of yoga as well, and let's all mix and match it. Another thing Baal worship was, was obsessed with the environment. Now, isn't our culture like environmentally obsessed? And we should do all we can to take care of the environment, absolutely and, and unequivocally. But, but we don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. And God is going to take care of his creation. And we're not going to destroy the creation by eating hamburger meat or by driving in our cars or flying in our airplanes. But politicians are telling us we have 12 years to live, so don't drive anywhere and stop eating Shake Shack. <laughs> No, you can still buy me Shake Shack. So. <laughs> and you know what Baal worship was about? Sacrificing children for profit. It was a pleasure-driven creed. It was appeal. It, oh, it appealed to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Immorality was a part of Baal worship. Aren't we living in an immoral culture where people say, whatever you want to do, you can do. And sacrifice your children. It's a woman's right to choose, to kill, and to abort their children for convenience. Basically, it's modern-day veil worship that is all around us. So here we are. Don't be discouraged. This is where Elijah goes on the last day of his life, to Jericho, a city that had been rebuilt in worship to Baal. But yet there was a there, there, there was a remnant of believers. Remember when Elijah really surrendered? He thought he was the only one. And God says, no, there are still those, was it 7,000, who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And so he says, yes, there are some. And there are some here in our cities today. They're all around. We've got to open our mouths. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And challenge people to remember the power of God to bring judgment. You know, the world wants to to erase history and cancel what God has done in the past. But we need to remind people that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Son of God. He died a horrible death on the cross for your sins. You deserve that death. 
And that's why people need Jesus. Because if you don't believe in Jesus, you'll die that horrible death in hell. My friend, you need Jesus Christ who died for you. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose again. God is powerful to save, but he will judge you if you are not born again through Jesus Christ. So thank God for faithful servants in our modern day Jericho. And I just found some pictures I know you'll enjoy. Some of our beautiful people of heritage over the years. You know, the Londonios came to our church through a telephone book ad when we were meeting in that YMCA. And Shannon and Janina were just small girls at the time. And thank God for their faithful service through all these years at Heritage. And of course, the Lions, they came to our church before they were even married. They came through our missionary in Grenada, Casimir Thomas, who Brother Leon was a member of their church. And, and Leon came. And thank God for this beautiful family. And I don't know who those two small children are. I don't recognize them. No. Can you believe Caleb and Chara? Look at how cute they are. They're still cute. They're so handsome and beautiful. Oh, isn't it amazing to see? We've seen these children grow up. So beautiful to be in a church and to be with people like this. And I don't know who this guy is with that I love New York. I can't recognize him anymore. <laughs> what a handsome Italian brother. He tells us he's handsome all the time anyway. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brother Vinny is a blessing, isn't he? You know, I've known this brother for 20 years now, and I tell you, he has a heart for God, a heart for people, souls, the homeless, those in need. It just flows out of him. And thank God for Vinny and his hard work through the years. And Pastor Carmine, what can we say? This was us years ago, because who's, who's on the other side of you, Pastor Carmine? Taking calls at the WMCA radio station in New Jersey, and who is on the other side there with you? No. That is Teddy Perez, who was in our church, and he left, and God brought him back. That's why we're here, because people are here. They're going to leave us, but God will bring them back. That's why we're here. We're here for souls who are calling into the radio tonight. For the sake of his name, never bow the knee to Baal. How do you like this picture? This was our adult Bible fellowships at the Village Community School. You know, and, and there's a lot to be said on these pictures, but you know why we're here? We're here for people like Liz and Ashuk. Beautiful Liz in her red jacket. We're here for uh, Tom and, was it Georgette, George, Georgiana? You know, people who are here for a, a brief time, and then they move again. But we want to be here for them. That's our mission. We're here for people like Ellie, who lives right there in the village, been with us all these years. We're, people, we're here for people in the Bronx, like Ben, who's here, and his wife, Leslie Ann. We're here for birthday girls. The birthday girls in the picture here. Beautiful Ambika. And we're here for, I don't even know who this lady is, honestly. Maybe you know. I don't even know her name. I don't know how long she came. But she was there that day. Well, that's why we're here, for people like that. And you know what? We're here for people who are going to hear the word. Maybe they're never going to embrace what we believe. Maybe they're going to leave us and it's going to hurt when they leave. Because there's people like that in this picture as well. But we're here for them to try our best to love them. And we do love them. You know why we're here? We're here because people are here today. But now, they, tomorrow they might be where? With the Lord. You know who I'm talking about? Who's standing next to Suresh? Suresh, you got your mustache back? 
No, no mustache. There's the real Suresh we know. Up here, he, he's got a mustache up here. I don't know. I don't even know that Suresh without a mustache. I don't know. Okay. But uh, right in front of Suresh is who? Who, brother? Howard Brooks. Precious Howard with the Lord now. That's why we're here. That's why we have to be faithful. And there's Brother Leon. And then, you know, I think of this brother. You know, who, who, who's that guy, Micah? You know who he is, right? That's Ray from the Bay. We're here for Ray from the Bay. Because Ray from the Bay was with us years ago, and he left. And recently, Ray from the Bay came back, and guess what? He left again. I don't know where he is, but we're here. If he comes back, we'll say, Ray from the Bay, welcome back. Amen? Amen. And you know why we're here? We're here because people have sorrows. I'm talking about our dear brother, uh, Jamie Marnock. Maybe he's even with us on the Zoom today. But, Jamie, we love you. We're praying for you. And we know this is a hard time to adjust without your dear wife. But we want to be here for you, brother. That's why we're here. Because, you know, this life, even as Christians, has tribulation. There's general tribulation we all go through. Thank God we don't have to go through the great tribulation. But in the world, we will have tribulation. And we need to be here. So, praise God. This is a mission field. And there are those who have not bowed the knee to the false gods of this world. And the last thing is this today is he says, the Lord hath sent me to the Jordan. So he says, the Lord hath sent me to Bethel, a place where the truth had been counterfeited. He says, the Lord hath sent me to the Jordan or to Jericho where the truth had been erased. And then thirdly, the Lord hath sent me to the Jordan River. And the Jordan is to remind Elisha and the sons of the prophets and everything Elijah is doing in this last day, he's being watched. And really, you know, that's the way we live. People are watching us, aren't they? Your children, you're watching me, I'm watching you. We're an example. We have to be that example. So Elijah's being an example. He says, Let's, the Lord hath sent me to the Jordan. And this was to show the ultimate triumph of truth. You know, beloved, we're on the winning side. And so what happens on this last day? And this is what just so moved me about this passage that I got into it. And then, you know, I, I wrote a book out of it. And what so fascinated me is that rivers open in the Bible four different times. You know them, right? The Red Sea with Moses, the Jordan River under the leadership of Joshua, and then twice in these 14 verses, once when Elijah and Elisha go through, and then Elijah goes to heaven, and then Elisha comes back and opens the river for the fourth time in the Bible. So it's like, wow. So I ask myself, why do rivers open in the Bible? What's the significance of that? And I'm convinced that God opens rivers to show his victory in battle. Rivers open every time in the midst of conflict or war. So, in other words, when Moses led Israel through the Red Sea, where was the battle? It was the Egyptian army was breathing down their neck. It was kind of like behind them. God opened up the Red Sea to show victory and deliverance. They went through to the other side, a picture of salvation. And then God opened up the river in the days of Joshua. Now, where was the battle there? Was it behind them or was it in front of them? It was in front of them. They were going into the battle. So they needed that God showed his power to open up the rivers 
to show him he was going to give him the victory in the battles before him. Now with Elijah and Elisha, it's more of a spiritual battle. But there's a battle. And I believe the battle is around them. And it's a spiritual warfare. And we see that spiritual warfare even in how Elijah gets to heaven. What comes down to take him to heaven? Chariots and horses of fire. Those are, that's instruments of war, right? Chariots and horses. And so, rivers open to show we're in a spiritual battle. And so we are, and we've spoken on that even the last two weeks. So, this is not a time. I'm going to appeal to those of you who are here in New York right now. By the grace of God, I pray that you'll have a sense the Lord has sent me to New York City to serve him. If you don't have a missionary heart, there's really not, for some people, a lot of reason to stay here. The only thing that may keep some people here is to have a heart to say, the Lord has sent me to New York because this is a needy place and, it, and this city needs the salt and light of God's people. If that's your heart, I believe you'll stay a lot with a lot better attitude. <laughs> right? We're in a spiritual battle. Let's fight the good fight of faith. The fields are still white unto harvest. The harvest truly is plenteous. <clears throat> but the laborers are still few. This is not a time to play games. This is a serious moment in history. A very serious moment. And I'm going to speak on something in a few weeks. I'm not going to tell you what now, but I'm going to share how serious this moment is in American life. And so we need to stand. We need to stand in love. We need to stand in faith because God is mighty. God is powerful. And he opens up rivers to show his people his sufficiency in the rivers of impossibility. And he is still sufficient. God is mighty. He is powerful. Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. As they sang when they came through the Red Sea, they said, Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power, who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. And so the Jordan River to show, opens up here twice in this passage to show the ultimate triumph of truth. You know the amazing thing, though, is Elijah ministered. Did things get better or worse during Elijah's lifetime in the northern kingdom? They got worse. How about Elisha? By the time of Elisha's ministry, were things better or worse? They were worse. The, the, the kingdom was headed for judgment and captivity, but God still had his most, two of the greatest prophets in Israel's history right at, in Israel at the most terrible times of idolatry. And so here we are. So... With God, all things are possible. God is at work. Let us not be discouraged. And beloved, I'll just say this by the grace of God. The Lord sent me to New York when I was, I don't know, 20 years old, 18. I felt a call. As soon as I got saved, I felt a call to come to New York. And I'm 62 years old. And I still sense a call to be here. By his grace. And you, you may fire me and then I'll, I'll just maybe go somewhere else. But 
I'm here for at least a few more years by the grace of God. And so I'm not I'm not thinking at all at this point about leaving. And, you know, I, I did think about this, too, just to let you know, I've never put my resume in anywhere. I've never even thought, oh, maybe I should go somewhere else. Let me put my resume out there. I've never put my resume. I don't even have don't even have a resume. So. And I'm not saying you have to stay here. Some people have moved. If God leads you to move, then then go and go. The Lord has sent you. If he sends you somewhere else, you go. You serve God. You go where God sends you. But I'm saying there are people like Florio Pierre here that we can reach. And Florio lived in a drug-infested community. And there was drug dealing. When I started this church in Queens, actually, there was a Methodist church here. We had the storefront next to that. Next to that was a drugstore, but they didn't sell bear aspirin. They sell like candy and then street drugs. And then next to that was another church. So there was four stores. Three of them were churches, three, and one of them was drug dealing. That's why it sounds like New York, right? Back in the, this is back in the, the early 90s, 80s and 90s. So Florio lived in this drug-infested community, and actually he lived next and around the corner from the lady who ran the drugstore where our, where our church was. And she lived upstairs from Mark Boyce, who's one of our new members. She lived right, and, that, and, and her sons would come to our vacation Bible school. So we had a good relationship with the drug dealers, <laughs> even though they slashed my tires one time. But that's another story. I think you might know it. But anyway, Florio came to our church. He was studying architecture, and God brought him in, and he quit the architecture. You know what happened? We went and visited one of our Filipino members. We had a Filipino member named Mercado. We had, they were with us in the start of our church. That's when I ate cow tongue. They, they, that was the worst. That was the only Filipino food I did not like. So don't feed me cow tongue. Do you, do you eat that? Okay, don't. You, ponset? Good. Bring me all the ponset you want, but not cow. Anyway. But Benny Mercado was dying of lymphoma, and Florio and I went to visit. And after that visit, he said, you know, he said, this is what really matters. And at that point, he gave his heart to preach the word of God. He went and studied for the ministry, and he's still in the ministry these many years later. And then Ina Pang, it's a, it's a, so I, gave, I, I, I left a church brochure on her door. Just left it there. She called. She says, oh, I'd like to come to your church. She's a sweet lady from Jamaica. I said, great. I told her where we were and everything. So Sunday morning, I was standing right outside the church door. And Ina kind of drives by. And she looks like, where is it? You know, and I said, and I waved and I ran over. I introduced. I said, yeah, I'm the pastor. Are you, you Ina? I remembered her name. I said, are you Ina? She said, yes. I said, oh, we're going to start the service. I'll, I'll be right inside. So I go back in. And she never came in. And I thought, I must have offended her, me and my big mouth again, you know. So I called her the next day, and I said, can I come over and just see how you're doing? She says, sure, come over. So she invited me in. I sat at her kitchen table, and I looked at her, and I said, so I know, where did you go yesterday? I saw you outside, but you never came into our church. She said, where did you go? She went into the wrong church. That's what I was she went into the church next door. So then I, I was like a little bit hesitant, but I said, okay, I'm going to ask this question. I hope she, well, the question was, did you like that church? Are you going to go back to that one? She said, no, I don't want to go back. She said, I want to come to your church. And, you know, she came to our church. She got, she became saved and baptized, grew in the Lord. Beloved, God is at work and he is powerful to do it. 
and his truth will triumph. Do not be discouraged sharing the gospel. Do not be discouraged giving out gospel tracts. Do not be discouraged getting involved in evangelistic ministry and sharing the gospel because the Lord hath sent you. Let's stand together as we pray, please. And if, Ruth, if you could come and just play quietly, or I'm sorry, Eunice, if you could come and play quietly on the piano. And if you are able to join her, Ruth, you certainly may. But I believe as we close today, I'd like for us to just pray through Hudson Taylor's surrender. So just resurrender ourselves to service of Jesus Christ. We are the missionaries. You are the missionary. Maybe God would set you apart to go into a full-time service, but in some kind of way, all Christians are in full-time service. If you're a mother, you're in full-time Christian service. If you have a job, that is where God has sent you. You're there to serve God in that job. That's your service, full-time for the Lord. And when you go home, you continue serving the Lord in your home. So let's just put up our hands. Would you join me in this prayer? Dear God, give me some great work for you to do. An outlet to show you how much that I love and am thankful to you. Because you have saved me by your grace. You have saved me from so great a death. And I want to invite even those who are on Zoom to stand up. And put your hand up to the Lord and pray this prayer along with me and join me in this prayer. Lord, may I be willing to do self-denying service for you, no matter what it would be, no matter how difficult, no matter how trivial, but only that you would be pleased. Lord, You've done so much for me. May I give my all to you. I surrender myself to you without any strings attached, O Lord. Without reserve, I put myself, my life, my family, and my all upon the altar. May your presence become unutterably real to me, O Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with unspeakable awe in your presence. For what service I'm accepted, I know not, Lord. I don't exactly know where you want me to go from day to day. But I'll go where you send me. And may a deep consciousness that I am not my own take possession of me. For I've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. And all God's people said, in Jesus' name, amen. Father, please work. If there's anyone here that's not saved, you can put your hands down. Help them to call on you, Lord, because you simply said, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he that has the Son has life. here would know they have you. If not, that they'll call on you right now and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a guilty sinner. 
worthy of death and hell. But Lord, you died for me on the cross. You rose again from the dead to take my sins away and forgive me. I call upon you now, Lord, to save me and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.